I'm yes. not a geographer, but... It's very specific. I actually am a geographer. What? Yeah. That's my, my original degree was in geography. You're kidding. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is a member of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Welcome to Champagne is Also a Band Podcast. This is Sven. Today, I'm going to be talking with an artist that you may know from such bands as Devil Dogs, Little Nathan Jr., Jigsaw, Johnny York, Withershins, and is currently playing in a band called Sunwise, Neil Yeager. Welcome to the show. Hello. All right. So today, we're going to be listening to the song Sophie off of the album Something Happened Here Once by the band Sunwise. So let's, without further ado, as I like to say, let's listen to the song. Thank you. 
Welcome back. So, I guess as my favorite question of all time, for my first question is, so did the words come first or was it a the baseline that we hear at the beginning or was there something that just started this off? As, as the writing process, these things both kind of happen independently about the same time. I wasn't writing these things to be together, but then later they, they just blended in and it, and it worked out pretty good. So like the majority of the lines are actually just a quote from uh, Sophie Scholl. She was part of the White Rose. She's kind of known as the woman to defy Hitler or stand up to Hitler. Yeah. Um, I, I did not I, I did not catch that correlation, but that totally yeah, now the, it makes so much more sense. I think the, the lines, um, it's such a fine sunny day and I have to go, which is what the quote that's attributed to her as she went to the gallows. Um, mm. Which, right. uh, and then the, the, the front part of the lyrics is all about the events that led up to her being caught or her team being caught. Yeah, and it keeps kind of um, it's like an action. All of the lines start with kind of an action of like we're moving forward, but yet it keeps going back to the falling down. Yeah, falling down, falling down. As as Sophie as part of the White Rose was that something that was particularly something that you've studied in the past, or just has always spoken to you? All right, so it's actually really time specific. Like when I was writing this, our political landscape is very divisive and problematic if, if you ask me <laughs> but right. shortly before i sat down to approach this there was the story about the it was a guy that got stabbed in the neck on a bus i think in portland or seattle and he was defending i think a, a muslim lady that was on a bus that was getting berated by some white angry man and uh mm. somebody on the bus stood up to him you know, got stabbed in the neck and died. And so, like, that story is just, like, stuck with me, like, because what I'm worried about in my own personal life is having the courage to stand up. Because the easy thing to do on that bus is to look the other way and sit down and don't say anything. You know, the hard thing to do is to stand up and be like, hey, this is not okay. And knowing the consequences that people that stand up face, you know, like, Sophie went to the gallows they didn't want to kill her. Like all the historical records say like, you don't have to die here today. You know, like we will, we will let you go. Just, you know, do the right thing here and save your life. And she wouldn't do it because mm. she was standing up for what she believed in. So that, that was my mindset at the time of sort of approaching writing. I feel like we're going to have to return to the, the thought of the lyrics and, and how that was coming together. So the, the one thing that kind of I'm even going to back up a little bit further is this whole album if you listen to it from beginning to end or, or EP I don't know yeah, it's, I think it technically yeah. is an EP I'm um, not an expert on these things yeah it's like the magic number is six if it's above six then it becomes an album and it and I say this all the time it's like oh is it an EP is it an album is it but I noticed that I said, you know, I'm just going to listen. I, I'm going to focus on the song Sophie, but I'm going to listen to the whole thing as kind of as the whole, as I was thinking about analyzing this. And I have to say, uh, the way that this was done, that unless you're paying attention, sometimes the it just jumps into the next 
track and you kind of everything kind of flows together and and in a way that's that almost helps it define it as an album is that it's this it's this cohesive right. line it's not a bunch of singles thrown together to make an ep and i I'm, i guess i'm just kind of saying i i appreciate it when um even a shorter length uh release is out there that has a cohesive feel to it i think that's remarkable but i was curious about that lilting bass line at the beginning where it's just the single bass line what i'm curious is did you directly write that bass line or was their chords already in place and then you wrote the bass line based on the chords because it the rhythm that you're using in there i just thought you know it it doesn't it doesn't hit me as like you're landing right on the on the beat specifically to have it be a standalone thing but when you use it as a standalone in the beginning you're like there you don't necessarily wrap your head around a specific rhythm but when it all comes together with all the parts it it has that sense it feels like it's all an uh, a song where it just kind of starts with something and then it makes more and more sense as the parts are added and and it fills out is that maybe something that was intentional or is am i that's just my interpretation (laughs) i wish it was intentional um so initially i wrote everything out on guitar and in my mind i felt like that that line was going to be a guitar line just sort of like the guitar melody that sets Uh, the stage yeah um when we got into the room together the other guys kind of were like you know this this might make more sense as the bass line because i just wanted to play like like open notes and like yeah. ring out like a maybe a large di- uh, distorted chord through that through the line to just sort of set that sort of more ominous overtone right um it completely changed and that's sort of the nature of when the band gets together it's elastic you know like yeah. i had the idea i was like this is the idea and so when when it became the baseline it just it, it morphed in into that what it what it is now and then but the, the cool thing is is that it allowed the guitars to kind of free form around it you know because it's yeah. not a standard like and i think you mentioned about the it's not a played like directly on the beat or it's not it's not a simple four four progression right. right it's it's a little more elastic a little more loose so which became very difficult for the drummer, you know. The repetitive nature of it, and then the way the lyrics sort of formed in around it, like, it, it makes a cohesive thing. The whole f- entry part is just like a bridge to get to the end. It's just like a big, giant placeholder to form the outro, essentially. If I'm writing something, I, I don't want to be uh, constricted by, like, a verse-chorus-verse progression, mm. or most of the time what I like to do is, like, have part one, part two and then call it out. If it starts to get too formulaic, which is fine if other people are writing, you know, if, if yeah. we're in a band together and you're like, this is the song, it does this verse, and then we play the chorus, and then we, and that's cool, I'm fine with that. But if I'm writing it, I want it to be more like, not restricted to structure. You know? Right, right. It's interesting to me when you say that you originally wanted it to be a guitar riff, because then it explains why there's, I mean, not, not that there's a not that bass players don't bend notes but 
when you're playing it and bending the note a little bit, I'm right, like, like that's very lead. guitaric. Right, for is sure. A, you know, another word that I'm making up. Yeah, it's very yeah, that's guitaric. That's, it'll be in Webster um, soon. That makes so much more sense. It being this, these low notes, I think, lends this kind of mystery of where it's going to go. Like, modally, it feels kind of a minor. But then when the guitar chords fill in above it, it changes the interpretation of how those those chords are going above it. It's fascinating now for me to understand that this is in relation to the White Rose with and Sophie and about resistance, because really, to an extent, it starts off with just one person, but right. it has to be that that one person inspires many, and then it, it develops into a movement. Within the context, I think it's interesting that you're building this bass line and then just little little chimes should i say the chimes of you could say of the of the cymbals um on the drums and then uh the, like uh, a natural harmonic on on the guitar that's doing the the chime sound and it's just like these little parts as i'm as i'm doing this with my hands that no <laughs> yeah, one can that, see that makes um, great these radio. little tiny these little tiny parts that just kind of build and I always feel like sometimes I can go with a full-on interpretation about things and then completely have to do a reversal of what... Not not that I had a solid idea this time, but it, it's just interesting to me to know that the, the lyrics and the intention was about rising up and resisting and, and, and in some ways even just being that one person that stands up even okay. when everyone else may not well it's yeah that's the, the one of the most inspiring things to me about sophie is that here we are kind of talking about her but you know to me the song is really about fear of you know and mm. and not being willing to go that far you know not be willing because like i'll have my beliefs you know i think everyone has their beliefs but in the moment would i be willing to risk things to stand up for my beliefs. And that's that's my biggest fear, I think. Yeah. Especially when we look at this political climate and knowing that our president, by example, has given people that discriminate permission to behave in that manner. I think that that was something that was simmering below, but somehow it's been, uh, what's, what's the word, condoned. Yeah, and I mean, there's a long complicated history i would argue that the current administration's intentions are are intentional i don't, I don't think that oh. it's an accident some people might disagree with that or whatever that's fine but it doesn't change the fact that on the ground tensions are higher than probably ever that's the thing that becomes a problem then because when you're out there and you have to sort of deal with these things face to face what will we do it consumes a portion of my day and i i think about being able to have the courage to call people out for their bullshit. That's something that I haven't been willing to do when I was younger. And as the climate gets more complicated and more intense, I feel like we're all, as a society, going to have to deal with this on a more personal, daily level. It's tough. It's hard. Because, as I mentioned earlier, the easy thing to do is to go home and complain about it. And, you know, like, uh, some asshole totally was being a dick today. And then I went home and I complained to my wife about it. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where the right thing to do would be like, hey, what the fuck's your problem? Yeah. You know, 
but that opens up a can of worms then. We're, we've been trained to be a polite society and yeah. like... There's a thing. Um, it's Midwest nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, the thing is, is that, you know, in a certain way, our the understanding that we're supposed to be nice should also couple with the social contract of we almost have to enforce the nice, too. You know, I mean, th- th- that's what right. I'm saying yeah, is, that, yeah, right. is that we don't necessarily, we don't see that other side of the coin when it's like, we're supposed to be polite, we're supposed to be nice, we're supposed to keep the peace. But in, in that sense, it also means that we have to enforce the nice. It's yeah, but enforce it's, the peace. And the, the complication uh, is that the other side isn't playing by that rule. And not, not the other side in terms of liberal or conservative. I'm just talking about, you know, sort of oppression versus the oppressed. I, you know, it's kind of crazy because, like, generally speaking, I'm not, like, a politically active person or, you know, these, these aren't concepts that I would normally hang out and talk about. When I'm in the bands, this is, like, one funnest thing I do. It's not necessarily, like, a reflection of an agenda that I'm trying to push out. So it's kind of hard for me to talk about these things kind of like this you know to give a life to these words and give a life to your music and get it out there and share it with other people i think there is a there is a validation there in terms of that maybe no matter how small every little bit counts right where we have to be able to share that part that feeling that sentiment that it's not okay you know and i i I really appreciate that this song has that depth to it and i did you know and it makes me happy when a song has a depth to it that i didn't necessarily realize and that's i think that's part of why i love this uh doing this podcast is because it's like oh shit i had no idea when this was first created you had done this on the guitar Mm mm-hmm and you had the words and they kind of when when did those two meet finally you know it's kind of weird i just there was it was just like an afternoon where things where i was trying to square peg round hole this you know there was actually a considerable volume of words that were like shaved down so like i spent a lot of time crafting a narrative that could be simply delivered so like you know there'd be like a really long line and i'd be like you know you could say this line in three words you know right and still capture the essence and part of that was intentional because of fear for myself of never having taken to the mic before in a band setting at least not formally (laughs) so i wanted to make sure that the conciseness was easy for me to remember and pull together and deliver in a in a way that I felt comfortable with so there was a lot of intentional crafting in terms of the actual creative process like everything sort of happened in one take I've never experienced that before I was just recording things as I was trying to like craft this thing and playing it back listening to it and trying to figure out and then like the time I hit record that that was the take you know that was the process that I was gonna use to try to present it to the band to be like this is what I think to capture it like at once was unexpected and um, fortuitous but like i don't i don't know where the inspiration really came from it was not necessarily planned or intentional it just like appeared and i think that's kind of wonderful (laughs) how did sunwise get formed you've got the band members from sunwise from all all over illinois but mainly kind of focused in joliet illinois uh how did that how did that come to 
together and Witherson's so Vaudevillains is our buddies from up in Chicago, Joliet, yeah. and uh, we played a lot with them. And so after shows, you would be hanging out with guys and and you know drinking beers and chatting. And music for me has always been like a social thing. It's something I do as a hobby with my free time for enjoyment specifically. And so like I found these guys that I really got along with well, shared a long list of similar bands that we liked you know and Withershins was dying essentially everyone was moving away and i didn't you know with champagne's a wonderful town and a great music scene but as you get older it becomes a little bit more difficult to find musicians that are like-minded that want to do the similar things and so i was casting a wider net and just found these guys that really shared a, a base a, you know a core band similarities you know yeah and uh that's not exactly an easy thing to find so mm. i really appreciate what those guys bring in and um you know one of them has a van so that's real important <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that so. yes um <laughs> unless unless you're a, a a quartet of kazoos uh you need right. a van you need a <laughs> yeah Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004. Carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. So did you grow up here in the Champaign Urbana? No, no. I'm from like yeah. the south of Chicago. In between Chicago and Kankakee was my... Uh, oh, that's all right. So what brought you to Champaign Urbana? A band, oddly enough. And that was the... Devil Dogs. Devil Dogs. Yeah, we were in like an alt country kind of uh, band. Yeah, it was good. We, You know, when we moved in together, our plan was to play a lot of shows and... We mainly just drank beer and hung out, uh, which was not a bad time. So, you know. uh, how long ago was that? That was 1999. Oh, that's when I moved to Actually, Champaign maybe 1998. Oh. It was right right around there. Yeah. That also means that you've seen some of the metamorphosis of the Champaign-Urbana music scene. For sure. I mean, back then, what were, what were your favorite venues to play at? The Canopy was amazing for mm. they they were bringing regional and you know sometimes national acts through uh we played the idf i don't i don't think they're still doing shows or anything uh, I, i'm not familiar with the idf the idf was something kind of and 
I don't know, Illinois Disciples Foundation. I think it was, I, I'm not exactly sure what it was. It was just sort of probably comparable to like the IMC, you know, you okay. could, it had a large space with a PA Ooh. and you could get in there and play shows. They, there was no bar or anything like that. It, and there was no bringing in booze or anything. It was just a show wow. space. Um, I think right around somewhere around there is when the Iron Post started up. Why do I feel like the Iron Post has been there forever? But maybe they have. I mean, I yeah, I've I twenty re- years is a long time. Yeah, but. I think I think ninety nine two thousand is when the Iron Post started up somewhere around no there. Way. So that okay. was pretty cool. The, the high dive was open, but they weren't doing any band stuff, as far as I can recall. Yeah, they were at that point. They were just a bar. Yeah, like downtown Champagne like. in ninety nine two thousand around there wasn't what it became later because it, it, it was like the Brass Rail Esquire. Yeah, those were places, but like that was before, dive. like ex- that was yeah. before. Ex- uh, so Brass Rail was there for sure. I don't ever recall going there. Um, mm-hmm. Esquire was the still the single, the single bar. Right. Uh, so it was. I mean, it was still a great place to get some grub. But yeah, I think Mike and Molly's was doing stuff, but I don't ever recall going there. There was the also was it the courtyard. So that would have been the the show space for the U of I. Oh oh oh, oh like yeah 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 courtyard something I don't I don't remember that but yeah, yeah. I the know union, we played there. The, the union, union. Yeah, yeah yeah the yeah. union courtyard maybe yeah something like that yeah yeah it was it was fun as a band we moved here playing a style maybe not conducive to getting gigs in town especially you know like hum was still pretty active sort of yeah. that loud rock and roll type space rock sound I'm sure would have gotten us some more gigs but. Well, and it wasn't like the Rose Bowl was mm. as much of a music venue. If it was a thing at all, now. I don't remember it uh, being so. I mean, it's been around, but it's always been a bar. Maybe right. not always like, a music venue. As musicians at that point, we were like really into Wilco and like the Jayhawks and like Willie Nelson, mm-hmm. you know, like Tom Petty. That Those were the types of things that we wanted to emulate. I kind of want to hear the. Do you, do you have anything? No, no. That that's that band has been lost to the. Uh, you know, back then getting yeah. the studio time would have been obscene. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, it wasn't like it is now where you can just put it on your phone, and send it to everyone. <laughs> it, is there a favorite venue that you've played at? Oh well, Mike and Molly's was like home for Withershins. Yeah. Uh, just. I'm, I think I, that's the first time that I saw Withershins was at the beer garden in Mike <laughs> and Molly's. The beer I mean, garden in the summer. There, I mean, is there anything really better than the? To me, those memories. I just yeah. some some of the best times I've ever had. You know, it's hard. It's hard to really quantify. I really enjoyed uh, the Cowboy Monkey when it had its stage. That that was a pretty cool venue. The, a lot of the places around town were were excellent. When when the high dive, and then I forget what it, they called it after the high dive. The Accord. Yeah, the Accord. I mean, that was so much fun. And honestly, I think the best Withershins ever sounded was on that stage with with Bob running the sound. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what a what an amazing guy. Just his grasp of our sound couldn't be understated. He really dialed us in. What was the best venue to to attend as an audience member or whatever? Uh, as an audience member, you know, depending on. I mean, if we're talking like Champagne, 
I've had some just amazing times at the High Dive Accord. Some of those shows will be hard to forget, you know, Shiner, seeing Appleseed cast there. And, you know, even seeing like Life and Times at Cowboy, some of those shows were just like amazing. The the system for that room was pretty good. So, right. uh, Depending on who was tweaking the knobs. I kind of feel like you would have been, at least in the DIY scene, uh, it was... It was like the Velvet Elvis and that kind oh. of thing. Um, I saw Withershins there. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Velvet Elvis as a thing was just astoundingly amazing. I mean, it was mm. like, like, it was hard to really even comprehend how cool that was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How does one get a space that big? In my mind, other than like the IMC, it is one of the few uh, uh, above ground locations that are diy i keep forgetting how privileged we were to have that diy venue at the time yeah because it it you know you didn't have to duck down for anything no it it was (laughs) amazing you could play frisbee up there like it's amazing yeah but like you know i saw like apple seed there and hum Mm -hmm. yeah i still don't know how i mean it Knowing no Matt how... Talbot now, I, I understand how oh, that's for possible. Sure. For sure. But I, at the time, I was like, "Holy shit! How, how did they get happen? home?" I have no idea. Yeah, but I don't uh, know how. I don't know how those conversations went about. You know, all I know was like <laughs> they they told me it was going to happen and don't tell anybody. Well, <laughs> it's like it's like, hey, I've got this idea. Do you mind dragging your shit mm-hmm. up up oh. like a flight of stairs? Three. And, I mean, we oh, were on right. the third floor. That's that, but right. I will have you know that Withershins did a hefty amount of lifting of gear for Hum. Okay. We, we did everything we could to accommodate them at every level. Like, oh. And they were super cool about it. Like, they weren't, like, you know, rock stars at all. No. But, like, we were like, please, let us help you. Right, <laughs> right. But, I mean, at that time, I, I didn't have the understanding of how cool they right. were. Yeah, I, I mean, see that. I didn't Other either. than just as a band being cool, but also as human beings right. being cool. Sometimes it just blows my mind what this scene can accomplish For if sure. it really wants to. So, how do you feel about most of, it seemed like most of Champagne downtown Champagne has kind of shut down. For the longest time, they were the venue Absolutely. location. But, I mean, th- it's, it's hard to think about now, uh, just given the landscape of live music, but, you know, thinking back to some of my favorite nights were like catching an early show at the high dive, then going to cowboy and mm. then closing it up in Mike and Molly's or like, right. There was a night where I think like Skirvine was playing the brass rail and life and times is playing at the cowboy. And then you're popping in at Mike and Molly's to see whoever's there, you know, like it was not uncommon to have two or three good shows conflicting and then you know if you have the cash you're probably going to them right you know yeah like i'll catch this band the next time because they'll play more in town here but we got to see these guys because they don't play that much you know right well and and the idea too is like when you say that you have cash i mean you most to be honest most covers are about the price of a beer. For sure. I mean, to be honest. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, oh, that's I, a I feel like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, you you have, you have 
five beers instead of six. Come yeah, but on, but know. but at the same time, you're looking at it like, you know, I've, I've already paid cover at Mike and Molly's. Right? True. We could just hang okay, out here yeah. and watch these three good yeah. bands, or we can spend an extra five bucks. And I don't know what covers go for nowadays because I I don't get out as much. But I mean, the covers covers have grown about as quickly as the minimum wage. How about but, let's just man, say that. But yeah. see, also too, <laughs> cover isn't necessarily a major obstacle for me nowadays. Right. So like. I've grown up a little bit, but I also don't get out as much. So, you know, back then, you know, 10, 12 years ago, yeah. right? Like paying three different covers at night would have been an obstacle. I was probably only going to drink four beers anyway. Right. But now I've paid three covers and I'm only having two beers. Like, right. <laughs> I, I get <laughs> And that. I couldn't see all 12 bands uh, anyway. Since you've seen it from kind of that earlier, earlier age, you know, that the music scene... Um, I mean, going back 20 years, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, is is there anything that you think would be that you kind of miss or that, I mean, other, I know other than like Mike and Molly's right. not being there, but is there something that you thought, you know, really worked about the Champaign-Urbana music scene that doesn't seem evident now or... And I, granted, you've stepped away from the scene a little bit yeah, by see, not yeah. being in Champaign-Urbana, but is there something that, that seems readily apparent that it's just not that, it, well, it doesn't feel the same anymore? Or I tried to make this argument with my friend Calvin from Sewing Needle, that kids just aren't going to shows like they used to, you know? Uh-huh. And he was like, no, that's just not true. They're not going to the shows you're going to, which is probably <laughs> a fair assessment because, you know, I'm old and I'm yes. going to, when I, when I go to a show, it's because there's an old band playing music from the 90s or the right. aughts that I, that I want to see, you know, I, I want to see some twinkly guitars, you know, and yeah, put, they, they got 14 different distortions on stage. So that's my jam. But he, he was telling me that like, the kids are just going to different shows and it's it's more see there's always a thriving scene it's just you might not be aware of it you know i think that there's an ebb and flow just generally within music industry there definitely seems to be within the bar industry a push away from any live music whether or not that will remain i don't it's hard to really say I'm, i imagine it'll take some sort of change in music that draw, draws people because the bars are really just interested in their bottom line right if it puts people in the seats or this you know in the place that buy beer they will put bands in there hmm. obviously they've made the calculation that they don't need that aspect of their business right now especially in downtown champagne right urbana looks to be like a pretty vibrant scene yes but i wonder how much of that is like picking up the market that's available right because yeah there, there's a definite you know lack of that in champagne so maybe they have evaluated that and said like well we can pick up this draw right iron post blackbird rose bowl you know like there's that's i i like that you know and i, yeah. I, I 25 o'clock sip yard yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. wonderful yeah all these things that just where did that come from? Right. And IMC, of course, yeah, on top absolutely. of that. Absolutely. I honestly feel a little bad. I, if you like going to shows, don't start grad school <laughs> mm. <laughs> while, while still doing your full-time job. Right. <laughs> you know, and oh. having kids. like It's difficult, you know. I don't get to near as many shows as I do. And then with my band being up in Juliet, I do spend a lot of my spare time up that way. 
you know? Right. So, like, yep. I've gone to some shows, but they just haven't been local, you know? Right. I, I feel terrible about that. Uh, it, it it hurts. But, you know, I try to catch Take Care every time they play. Yeah. Um, moats. I absolutely love Moats. So, when, when they play, yeah. I try to make strong effort to go see them. That kind of wraps into a little thing. When you mentioned Take Care, you're going to be playing, you know, Withershins is going to be reuniting for a show mm-hmm. on November... 15th at good. the Brass Rail, and it's going to be with, you know, the Vaudevillians uh, from Chicago, Sister from St. Louis. Yes. And uh, Take Care from Champaign I, I think those, Urbana. I, I, think. I believe that I'm they're all sure. from Danville. So <laughs> let's just. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and now it's like Withershins from everywhere yeah i know we're a yeah. we're a national organization that's <laughs> true <laughs> coast it's to coast true. at least a midwest conglomerate maybe. no i mean oh uh, oh because they colin have colin's yes. in dc essentially and bryce is in salt lake which is mm-hmm. pretty close to the pacific i'm pretty sure i'm yes. not a geographer but it's very specific i actually am a geographer what yeah that's my my original degree was in geography you're kidding. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty much... <laughs> That's... Uh, no. Go- Google made that twists, pretty useful. It's got turns. <laughs> um, excellent. Yeah. No, it's good to know. Um, so, everybody needs to go out and catch this show. I, I feel like you're not going to get to see Withershins very often. No. Um, and to be completely overdramatic, I'm going to say, this is the last time anyone will ever be able to see Withershins yeah. ever get out there do yeah. that thing. Don't miss it. And we, we should be, we should be pretty good because we're we're not going to practice. Um, but we'll have one show under our belt already by the time we play. Oh, okay. So okay. I think that's gonna. It, it'll definitely be better the second night over the first night. But if you're listening from St. Louis, you should go to that show too because it's going to be a bit of a train wreck but it'll be an amazing train wreck that you can't turn away from. So, where are you playing in... So, on the 14th? The day before the... Yeah. Yeah, if it's the 14th, that's the 14th. Then we're playing Schlafly Tap. Schlafly. That's right. I did uh, Schlafly. Yeah, I don't know how to say it, but uh, I know how to drink Sugar it. Schlafly? Okay. <laughs> that would be... Oh. Yeah, come on down. It'll All be right. fun. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ideas. Yeah. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening. Located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community 
ucc.org. Neil. That's me. That is you. What is your favorite non-musical thing? So, that's an interesting... Yeah, very good question. You can do a list. That's fine, too. We can... We yeah, can no, I'll, like I, I have a... Deep I'll, dive. Got a little bit of a biography to reveal, but... Um, so, outside of music, I, like, I, I have always put family first above pretty much everything. Um, so, like, that's uh, probably the most important aspect of my life you know if you get away from family and music i'm really passionate about beer it's probably my second favorite hobby i I like to brewery tour and sample different beers i like to try new beers uh as a as a hobby but um it's it's cool because uh as as you know as we've got all these empties here Uh uh-huh dank meme from triptych is my favorite brewery and my favorite beer it's it's very fortunate as a beer connoisseur to have your favorite beer made right in your backyard. I'd have to agree that Dank Meme is probably one of my favorite triptych, but I also like their Hefeweizen. No, their Hefe is good. Ha- always have a Dank Meme, but I also always have whatever the newest. A Wizard is Never Late is oh, probably good really good. Yeah. Um, Wake Up Neo is probably one of my favorites. But they haven't done that in a they while. They haven't done it in a while. I don't know what they're doing um, over there. They don't listen to me, but... Well, you know. I mean, I mean, I got some Did pull. you Did you come in with your bass when you did that? <laughs> or were you like... Um, there was a really great moment in Withershin's history where I messaged Triptych, and I was uh-huh. like, hey, can we do a listening party at, oh. uh, of our new record when Mount Fungi came out? Yes. So we debuted. We did a video for... Aqua, Aquamarine, Marine, yeah. We watched the video and then we listened to Mountain Fuji in its entirety when the pressing came out at Triptych, and we drank beer and played cards and hung out. It was a really cool combination of two of my favorite things. <laughs> I think that's such a great album, and I think it was. If you want to look at it as a swan song, it was definitely like a good for for. It was a good way to go out. Um, although I still like Silver Cities a hell of a lot, and I wish Ariel could be on vinyl, and then I would have all of it on vinyl. But yeah. um, it may happen one day. We'll see. I don't know. Ooh. There's been talk. It's it's hard though oh, because gosh. it's such a financial commitment, and and it's true. A, and essentially, it's lighting money on fire. You know, I I want. Well, it. yeah, I want I a copy of it for my record collection. You know. Sometimes think, isn't it isn't it just enough to have the desire to want something yeah. to exist? So you know what I mean. That's like, the thing. There's at least ten people that want copies of that, right? So when you <laughs> and say, unless they're <laughs> unless they're willing to pay three hundred dollars right, exactly. each, yeah. Oh, I get um, it. And but there's also it. other considerations because we really recorded that. Aaron McAllister did a wonderful job, but we recorded it for basically MP3. So someone would have to track down the originals and look at that for remastering, oh, oh. and then pressing, and then you know, like yeah. how much money. Would you really want to light on fire? No, no, no one's won the lottery yet. You know. True. We're, I'm, I'm working on it, but, uh, yeah, well, but it's something that it's on my list of things to accomplish. Yeah. So as long as I'm still breathing, it's a potential thing to happen. I, I feel like it's, it's an under. Uh, I'm sorry. It's an under recognized album. You know, I, I feel like there were so many great. Th- I mean. 
prologue is probably one of my favorite oh, Witherspoon songs. Mine too. Like just the, I mean, yeah. It's digga 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 digga. I was so, like, as we progressed and moved on and that song got cut from the set, it was always a problem for me. Uh, Like, in terms of just sort of bass composition, I was, that was one of my most proudest uh, achievements and sort of like the space that I allowed, you know, there, there's, there's quiet parts, loud parts, and there's just, yeah. Well, and that song is all like anticipation for sure. you know well and it's also you know kind of the the the, the drumline march yeah, kind of ticket 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 colin really oh my god lightning in a bottle yeah i love that i mean i well anyway yeah i mentioned on the the episode i think that was episode eight there's this that's one of the songs i would put on like the top like up in there it was I, always one of my I'd favorites go. did we just completely diverge from like your favorite things so no, I mean definitely beer. Yeah, but, beer, but I mean, be, it, I guess, yeah, we did because if we if you're making a, a non-musical statement, but like, yeah, it's hard for me to unwrap that because I have my family that I support and take care of and work together with, uh-huh. you know, with my wife and like all that. Yeah, uh, and then outside of that, my two favorite things are drinking beer and playing rock shows and and hanging out with the band. So like. That's that's pretty much my whole life right there is those three things. Thank you so much for coming out to the Blue Box Studio and recording this episode with me and talking about your song Sophie off of the album Something Happened Here Once by Sunwise and you know telling me about your experience earlier on with the Champagne Urbana music scene and your non musical favorite thing um which which we most certainly did enjoy thoroughly and may enjoy even more after this is over but i really really appreciate you coming out and telling me all about your song sophie it's been a pleasure excellent Thank you for listening to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is Neil Yeager reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. You almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is your name, which is where I'm supposed to say Neil, reminding you. 
great music is out there. Go find it where you live. I may Thank just you. Leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't need to do that again. That's perfect. <laughs> do one more. Oh, oh okay. but I threw it.